Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. We will continue tonight with our discussion of Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. Jiva Goswami has just finished up with one extensive section where he's shown that the material manifestation is a real consequence of a real action by the real Supreme Personality of Godhead. It's not simply an illusion. And he follows this section with this new approach to our enlightenment. Well, it's real, and it's a real consequence of the real God, but we know the nature of the Supreme is that, well, we know our nature. We may not know God's nature, but at least we know our nature, and we know that within the material realm where we're residing now, not everything is perfect. How can something imperfect come from the Supreme Perfect? And how can we, being part of the Supreme Perfect, be in what certainly appears to be one hell of a mess a lot of the time? How do we sort all that out? Jeeva's taken a considerable amount of time to show us that the material world is really a real place. It's not simply some illusory manifestation of our own mental gymnastics. It's here. And we're really here. And we're really influenced by being here. So he's gone to a considerable length to do that, to show that other conceptions regarding the material universe that rely on logic that's not based in a reality, in other words, logic that's not based on this being the real consequence of a real cause, those kind of uh, viewpoints regarding the material manifestation, they don't play out in a logical manner. And he's given so much evidence in that regard. So now we so now we're at a new place. Well okay. Thank you for letting us know that we're in a real world. And thanking us letting us know that it's not simply a dream world that we've created and that we can just at one time or another, by understanding we're in a dream, wake up from it and be enlightened. But still, a little knowledge would be helpful, because definitely there's something going on here and we don't really know what it is. Still, it there is a situation here, and... It's not from what the majority of us experienced all that we'd like it to be. We'd like it to be a lot more than it is. We'd like our circumstances to be a lot better than they are. We'd like to not reside in a body that's put into pain and anguish by both our physical situation and our mental tribulations. Where do we go from here? 
Jeev has shown us that just knowledge in and of itself isn't going to dissipate our situation. It's not like we're just going to become aware of the fact that we're spirit and that we're not matter, become aware of the fact that we're not this material body, that awareness in and of itself will be sufficient to dissipate all that we have become wrapped up in as far as our material existence goes. So now the narrative's going on. And Jiva's saying, okay, the real world is not Vivartavad. It's not simply an illusion. It is Parinama Vad is the proper understanding. That proper Vad or understanding is that the world is a real transformation of the real Shakti or energy of a real entity. Sat Karya Vad. It is a real consequence, a real result of a real cause. So the effect has characteristics of the cause. That's our experience. But Scripture tells us that the cause is God. And Scripture also outlines what God's like. Scripture, in telling us what He's like, doesn't tell us like that He's anything like what we experience here. Scripture says He's eternal. He's full of joyfulness. He doesn't experience any modifications or tribulations. He's completely transcendental to the environment that we find ourselves in. These are real questions that can come up. And these questions that can come up regarding God and regarding ourselves and regarding the material world that seems so foreign to those characteristics that Jeeva's already explained to us are the characteristics of God and are the characteristics of our true self, intrinsic characteristics. So he's explained all that, and now he's going to confront us through the questions that Vidura placed before Maitreya with some consequential ideas to this that would naturally come up in any spiritual inquiry. Now, if we think deeply about the significance of these kind of instructions coming from an Acharya, we need to go to Krishna's simple instruction in Bhagavad Gita to recognize their significance. One who knows the transcendental nature of my appearance and activities is not going to be forced to again take birth in the material world. That's Krishna's guarantee. It's not a superficial thing to understand God. It's not just, it goes deep. 
one who understands the transcendental nature of my appearance and activities, does not take birth again. Transcendental nature. So what is that transcendental nature? That's what Jiva Goswami is bringing out here and completely unpacking so that we can never have to take birth again under the influence of the modes of material nature. We may take birth again, but that birth will not be a birth forced upon us by karma. Right now, birth is being forced on us by our actions. If we can change our actions and become transcendentalists, then there may be another birth. We don't care. Nadanam Najanam Nasundarim Kavitram Vajagadisha Kamaye Mama Janmani Janmani Sware Bhavatan Bhaktir Haitki Twai. I don't care if there's another birth. Doesn't matter. Because a devotee isn't under the influence of karma anymore. I only want your causeless devotional service, birth after birth causeless devotional service. So what? This birth, that birth, transcendental birth, material birth, whatever birth there may be, there's no karma for the devotee because he's taken shelter of Krishna and Krishna's guaranteed him, if you fully understand my nature, then birth, birth is done. There's it's no more. So, this subject matter, this understanding of Krishna's transcendental nature, it includes, of course, as we'll find out here in the questions posed by Vidura to Maitreya and unpacked by Jiva in order to give us a proper and full understanding of transcendence, so this understanding is about the Supreme and it's about ourself and it's about the Lord's material energy. And the knowledge of this leads to that knowledge that Krishna is speaking about in his verse, about understanding his transcendental nature and not being affected by maya anymore, by illusion. The material world is an illusion. It's not a... It's not an illusion, but our involvement in it, is it, in it can lead to our illusion. To break that illusion through knowledge means to understand Krishna's transcendental nature, his name, form, qualities, and activities. That katha, that Krishna katha, is in and of itself enough to break the illusory spell of Maya. So Vidura's questions, and we've already gone over a couple. We're going to review those questions and continue this evening. So these are all from the third canto, uh, seventh uh, chapter, third skanda. So the first question Vidura asked that was quoted by Jiva is, O Brahmana, referring to Maitreya Muni, how can Bhagavan, who is consciousness alone, Chinmatrasya, 
immutable and free of the gunas, become involved with the gunas and functions of Prakriti, even as a matter of cosmic play, Leela. goes on. A child is impelled to play out of his own desire or due to another child's wish to play. But how can this be so for Bhagavan, who is fully satisfied in his own self and ever detached from any other thing? Through his own maya, consisting of the three gunas, Bhagavan evolved the universe. Through her, he regulates it and shall cover it up once again. There are three more verses that Jiva Goswami will quote in his Anuchedas. But we're going to begin this evening on the 87th Anucheda, which deals with this verse that I just read, through his own maya, through his own illusory potency, consisting of the three gunas, Bhagavan evolved the universe. Through her he regulates it and shall cover it up once again. Now we dealt in the last discussion with the fact that it's not really, the material world is not a playground that would have any real interest for the Supreme. So, you could say that it's not a place for his Leela. But there's other verses, and there's certainly some, some validity to the fact that, well, he's God. I mean, the Supreme Lord, that's what it means to be supreme everything you do is play there's no obligation to do anything you own it all you have it all you are it all so it's not really a matter of anything that the supreme lord does is something that he has to do there's no force upon him to perform any action. And in fact, some people see the Lord, Brahmati is Brahman, which has no characteristics whatsoever, especially any characteristics akin to the characteristics that we experience in our existence within the material world. So, you could say that, well, everything God does is play. So we we dealt last discussion with the fact that, well, the material world itself is not a playground for him because, well, it's so, it's just not perfect from our viewpoint. Now, from his viewpoint, well, kind of everything's perfect, isn't it? He's He's behind everything and everything that he does Om Purnam Adha Purnami Dham. Everything coming from the Supreme is perfect and complete. In itself, it's perfect and complete. There's other verses in the Bhagavatam 
where the material manifestation is looked on as a leela or a play. And what we find is we're finding here Jiva's drawn from this discussion between Vidura and Maitreya. And later, in the same canto, third canto, there's a discussion between Devahuti and her son, Kapiladev. Now there, there, we find the following verse. Saesa pakritim sukshmam daivim gunamayim vibhu yadritsha yavapagatam abhyapajata lilaya. As a pastime, Paramatma, the powerful Lord, accepted Prakriti, composed of the gunas, subtle in state and belonging to the Lord, which he contacted by his will. So here we have another verse where it's Lila, Lilaya. Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur comments, Paramatma contacting Prakriti by his own will, since it is his energy, accepted Prakriti as a pastime when he desired to create the universe for jivas bound by karma. This means he glanced impregnating Prakriti with the jivas. So even the great commentary, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur says, it's a leela, it's a pastime. So different perspectives. And just to see that there can be a different perspective. One perspective is, from Jiva's viewpoint, as he expressed, from that viewpoint, Maya's just so much beneath what is spiritual that why would the Lord find pleasure in his external potency, consisting of the modes of material nature? wherein everyone is under the influence of those modes. And it's a well-supported, it's not that it's just, it's a very well-supported idea that, well, when we hear that Krishna comes, the Supreme comes to the material world to enact pastimes, how are they depicted? First, he doesn't come alone. He brings his own friends with him who are all transcendental in nature. He doesn't interact directly. The jivas who are conditioned by material nature have an opportunity to see those pastimes and to associate with those pure souls and to associate with the Lord, but he brings, the, he brings his own entourage with him who are all fully transcendental. Not only that, it's not the people alone that he brings. He brings his whole transcendental dom with him. So when he comes, the earth becomes shintamani. The trees become kompavriksha trees. The cows all become, what is it? Common data. They're all wish-fulfilling ground, wish-fulfilling trees, wish-fulfilling cows, wish-fulfilling associates. Everything is fully transcendental with the Lord advents. So, some more support for the viewpoint that 
the Lord doesn't really play where we play. If we want to call this existence play, which may be a stretch. So, this evening's Anochetus. Quality in action cannot be denied in Bhagavan. Jiva's Anucheta 87 reads, Nor is it deniable that these gunas and actions exist in him, because it is well known that they do. So Vidura continues. Again, we're talking about how do we see the involvement of the Supreme Lord in the material energy and the involvement of the pure self, which, by the way, we are. We are a pure self. How do we see that involvement? How does it come about? So again, Vidura questions, though, through his own Maya, consisting of the three gunas, Bhagavan evolved the universe. Through her, he regulates it and shall cover it up once again. Jeevak unpacks a little bit by the Maya that is under his shelter and which consists of the gunas, meaning that it manifests the three gunas, he evolves the universe, regulates it, and covers it up. The latter meaning that he causes the universe to become unmanifest in the reverse order. Some significance is given in the commentary to this wrapping up of the universe. Pratyapidashyati uh, means re-covering up, according to Sridhar Swami in his commentary. Sri Jiva follows Sridhar in glossing it as bringing about its dissolution in reverse order. Basically, they are looking at this verse, and according to Shiva Goswami's, I'm sorry, Sridhar Swami's commentary on the verse, when the Lord wraps up the material energy, so again, we're talking a verse, but Dora's question is, on the same subject, and he's asking, and we see the Lord, how can you really say the Lord is not involved in his external energy when he manifests the universe and then he wraps it all up? So this is just another part of, of an extended question by Vidura to Maitreya Muni. So the only real commentary is here is the fact that Sridhar Swami and Jiva Goswami both look at this wrapping up of the universal manifestation as, as the reverse of its manifestation, basically. The evolutes of material nature go out from the Supreme Lord, and we have a whole philosophy for that. That philosophy is dealt with later in this very canto, of the Srimad Bhagavatam because Kapila appears as the son of Devahuti and Devahuti 
ask basically the a same, a very similar set of questions as Vidura placed to Maitreya. She placed to Kapila. And he, being the incarnation of knowledge, Jan and Sankhya, he 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 answers them in a similar way, but with a little bit more detail. So the the in full, the manifestation and the enfoldment of material nature is dealt with a little bit more a little bit differently there later in the same canto so this understanding is in the line with the prevalent idea of sankhya and adopted in vedanta of regarding the cosmic dissolution as a process of in Involution, involution, evolution, involution. So coming back in to the supreme or enfoldment in which the elements are reabsorbed one by one into their subtle causes. Vidura's question now. Now he's, he's kind of finished up with Paramatma's involvement. And he takes it one step further. What about the jivas? They're pure. How did they get wrapped up? So, if you're going to ask your guru a question, you might as well just put all your doubts out there, you know, systematically. So that's what Vidura is doing. He's saying, how can God be involved in the material manifestation considering the nature of God which we know from Scripture? And how can the jiva be involved with material nature, knowing the nature of the pure jiva, which we are from Scripture? Never was a time that you did not exist, nor I, nor all these kings, nor in the future. We're eternal, ever-existing, undying, not changed when the body is changed. Preliminary spiritual knowledge given by Krishna in Bhagavad Gita Arjuna is it seems a lot different than what our experience is. So, Vidura, well, I might as well ask about them. I have Maitreya here, and it's the same kind of thing. God's involvement with material nature. What about the jiva? So, Vidura continues. How is it possible that the jiva can be deluded by Maya? Vidura raises this further objection in the next verse. Okay, Jiva says that in his Anucheta. Then he quotes the verse. How can that entity, the Jiva, that's us, who is intrinsically of the nature of consciousness, it's us and we're like God. He is conscious and we're conscious. So we have something in common there that is never obscured by space time, or circumstance. That's our real consciousness. There's obscured. Mm-hmm. Obscured. Um, clouded over. You can't see clearly. You, your, your vision is obscured. Your consciousness is obscured. So, Vidura is saying here in his question... Our consciousness, our pure consciousness, 
cannot be obscured by space, by time, or by circumstance. How is it, then, either by itself or through any other cause, be associated with the unborn Maya? How is that possible? How can the pure self, which we've been told were pure, ever-existing, undying, not changed when the body is changed, how is it that, that, that it sure seems that all these things are happening to us? Jiva Goswami unpacks Vidura's question. How can that one, namely the Atma or Jiva, whose consciousness is never obscured by place and so on, be associated with the unborn, with ignorance? The Jiva's consciousness, being all-pervasive in nature, is not lost by a gap or alteration in space, unlike the vision of the eye, which can be obstructed by spatial limitations. Being eternal, it cannot be lost as a result of the passage of time, unlike a lightning flash, which is momentary. Being immutable, it cannot be lost through change in circumstances, unlike memory, which is subject to decay. Jiva Goswami continues, another paragraph from his Anucheta. Because the Jiva is truly existent, or a real existent, coming from a real source, its consciousness cannot be sublated by itself, unlike illusory silver misconceived in an oyster shell, which is sublated by the observer's own subsequent valid perception of the shell. Again, something like obscured. It can't be... Which is sublated. In other words, here in this context, it's talking about the fact that the mind, in looking at the oyster, is seeing shell. Oyster shell is seeing silver. So we put an impression there. But the jiva can't... There, no impressions can be put on the jiva. In its natural state, it doesn't. It, nothing. Nothing can be applied. So, I mean, Jiva's. You know, Jiva through Vidura's questions really say you got to step back and see what you really are for yourself. What you really are is is can't be obstructed and obscured by these by these false ideas which you're buying into. Because the jiva is non-dual, meaning that it is not an object susceptible to external manipulation, its consciousness cannot be covered like by others, unlike a clay pot, which can be broken or taken away by another person. The jiva's consciousness cannot be lost by any of these factors, because the jiva is the shelter of unobstructed consciousness integral to its essential nature. So, how is this happening? How is Maya working? How does, how, how does the Lord 
become involved in the evolvement and unevolvement of a material manifestation and how and he's conscious he's fully aware and the intrinsic nature of the jiva our very self is we are aware we can we have consciousness so how can this happen vidura wants to know how can this happen the second riddle in the delusion of is the delusion of the jiva now what's the first what was the first riddle the first riddle was and i'll read from the earlier anucheta Sri Jiva now begins a new topic. So this is the topic we're in now. How can Bhagavan, who is transcendental to material nature, become involved in activities related to Pakriti? How can a conscious living being come under the sway of Pakriti's gunas? This is a riddle that cannot be solved by any amount of logical gymnastics. Now we're going to get the 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 riddle is going to be solved but not through any logical gymnastics we're not going to come to a solution of the riddle so this is the second part first how can the lord become involved in his external energy although he's changeless causeless transcendental not influenced by how many more you know adjectives can we use to express the fact that that the material world is not of the same nature of god as god so how can he make it how can he control it how, why does he manifest it and how can the jiva who is of the same nature as god that of a conscious entity a conscious entity of his very nature eternal ever existing undying never changing again how many adjectives can it be applied to the jiva that express the jiva's uninvolvement in the material nature influenced by the modes of material nature the commentary gets in a li- into a little bit of the of the various um, things that are mentioned by Invidura's verse the various kinds of illusion and then it concludes as follows consciousness of the self is not lost by any of these means it is not limited by time because it is eternal nor by space because it is beyond space nor by any change of state because it is immutable not by itself because it truly exists nor by any other object or individual because consciousness is non-dual and hence not related to any object 
That being the case, consciousness is the inherent nature of the self and is thus never lost. It is eternal like Paramatma himself. The principle here is that the characteristics of an eternal object are eternal. Nityam gatam nityam. Such being the case, how is it possible for a jiva to fall under the sway of maya, becoming deprived of self-awareness and absorbed in matter? This is the second question raised by Vidura. And Vidura is not done yet. He's going to take it one step for a, more before Maitreya responds. In this regard, Vidura next inquires into another contradiction about the jiva's association with ignorance. Jiva Goswami quotes again the very next verse from the third canto. This Bhagavan, who is one alone, exists in all fields. Sarvasya chaham hridisani visto matasmriti cha. The Supreme Lord is situated in everyone's heart. He says to Arjuna, from me comes knowledge, remembrance, and forgetfulness. So, he's the observer of all fields of activity. So, Vidura is saying, this Bhagavan, who is one alone, exists in all fields. He's seeing it all. He's seeing through the eyes of everyone. Every step you take, every move you make, he's there watching you. How then can that one, the jiva, experience misfortune and distress as a consequence of conditional action? Karma. Good question. If God's with me, why am I suffering distress? He's here with me. He's seeing every... I mean... Everything I do, he's with me every step along the way. So how how is this happening? Good question. I just <laughs> right. If I'm with God and we're both conscious and you know we both are observing and 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 both experiencing, we're obs- we are observers of our field of activity. Shaitrajna. We're seeing our field. He's seeing all fields. So, what's going on, Vidura is saying? I need an answer. Please help me here. I'm trying to understand. Jiva Goswami unpacks it a little bit. This Bhagavan, who is one alone, as Paramatma, is also situated in all fields, Shetra, namely the bodies of all jivas. This being the case, how is it that of the jiva and paramatma, only that one, the jiva, undergoes the misfortune of losing its intrinsic awareness and experiences distress because of conditional action, karma? What? what why, why am I on the hook and God isn't? That's what, that's really the consequential question here. We're both in this together and I'm influenced by my actions and 
there's another bird on the tree that's just watching. It's like the Garden of Eden. One bird's eating the fruit and getting the reaction and the other bird's just observing. Oh, I think that's actually the way it's stated in one verse, right? Huh? One bird's on... We're both sitting in the same tree of the material body. The same tree of the banyan tree of material existence. We're both here together and... I'm suffering the reactions and the other bird is just free of it? Vidura has a question. Why is this? O descendant of Bharat, dynasty, know me also as the Shetrajna situated without all Shetras whatsoever in in addition to the individual knowers. In my view, knowledge of the field, the body, and both these knowers of the field, the individual living being and the omniscient Lord, is what is meant by true knowledge, Gyan. So Krishna said to Arjuna, no, this. This is real knowledge. There's two, two knowers, two observers of the field, and I'm with all of them. Jiva concludes, Why did these not also accrue to him, Paramatma? Why do these karmic reactions, why doesn't God have any of them? They only accrue to the, to the other bird in the tree. It is not logical that when two objects lie in the same reservoir of water, one has contact with the water and the other does not. Thus end Jiva Goswami's Anucheda. Doesn't make sense, does it? No. Well, we need a guru to make sense of this for us. And thus, we have Maitreya responding to Vitura in a way that comprehensively answers all these questions that Vidura has put forward. Can you repeat that about the water? It is not logical that when two objects lie in the same reservoir of water, one has contact with the water and the other does not. What is their reservoir? Consciousness. They're both conscious. So they're both aware. So why is one getting wet and the other isn't. Commentary. Vidura raises a pertinent doubt. Both the Atma and Paramatma reside in the same body. So why is it that only the individual Atma suffers and enjoys the outcome of karma? What makes Paramatma immune to such experience? The ill fortune mentioned in this verse is in the form of the absence of awareness of one's true nature and being deluded by Prakriti. Sri Maitreya will now reply to all these questions in the following verses, which are cited and discussed in the upcoming sections. We're going to start this, and at least you'll know superficially the answer, and we'll fully unpack it in our next discussion.
Sujiva Goswami continues in his Anucheda number 90. It is not possible that the Supreme is mere consciousness alone. Therefore, accepting the truth of Bhagavan's omnipotency, i.e., that the Absolute possesses inconceivable potencies in his essential nature, Sri Maitreya replies as follows. Sri Maitreya says to Vidura, Such is Bhagavan's extrinsic potency, Maya, which contradicts all logic, for due to its influence, the living entity, who by nature is a ruler and liberated, experiences impoverishment and bondage. This is a long Anucheda. There's much support to unpack this so that we can understand it comprehensively. But I'll close on this note so that there's a lessening of the bewilderment that, oh, well, let's just say it, it's a chinta, inconceivable. And I'll close with this before we unpack it fully. Understanding the nature of achinta, inconceivable, is where the Sandarbhas began. Because from our viewpoint, revelation is inconceivable. We have no direct experience of the fact that scriptural statements have any validity in our fact. And when I say our fact, I mean our experiential world. Now, in his Mangala Charna, Srila Jiva Goswami said, this Sandarbha presentation is for bhaktas. This is for people that are willing to accept revelation. This is for those devotees who are willing to accept the revelation that there is more to life than meets the eye. There is a chinta, but that doesn't mean we can't enter into the mysteries of the inconceivable nature of the Absolute. So this is where Jiva started the Sundarvas, and we have to understand that this scripture is for those people that are willing to enter into, first of all, a logical understanding of revelation, because to begin with, we have no direct experience of revelation, but we are going to fully enter into revelation as we make spiritual progress. Everything that we've heard of all these great devotees that the Bhagavatam has revealed, every discussion that they've had with the Supreme, every, every nature, his name, form, qualities, and pastimes that he's revealed, those revelations are going to come to us as devotees. This is not something that we're going to be... The curtain is, at one point or another, sooner or later, going to be opened. And we ourselves are going to have all of these transcendental revelations that we're hearing about these other great people had. 
It's not that it, we're, you know, this is just a theoretical, oh, let me read the scripture in here. No, we're reading a scripture, Bhagavatam. The Bhagavatam is what? It's a mature fruit. In the beginning, we're hearing about the nature of the fruit. And the more we hear, the more we develop a desire to taste the fruit. And the more we taste the fruit through more hearing, the more and more the revelation becomes our reality. Inconceivable. We are in the world of inconceivable. We've taken a plunge into the inconceivable so that we can conceive it. Thank you so much for your association.